0: um so if you were started reading um so what we read to the kids is the is the kind of middle part of chapter nine the first part of chapter nine i'll read in a second but if we started before chapter nine we'd have a sense of jesus uh, in the middle of a whirlwind of ministry and activity he's taught passionately about the kingdom of god his favorite subject Um, he calmed a storm and in two instances i think it's in six and eight chapter six and eight He actually raised two different people from the dead. Now he's sending his 12 closest followers out on a kind of reconnaissance mission, if you will, to ready the towns and the villages and his own disciples about what he's doing next. And we get very clearly what he's doing next in the last part of this chapter, which we won't go to, but it says that he turned his face toward Jerusalem. Which for those of us who know the rest of the story, that's an ominous thing to say. Because it is in Jerusalem that he will be crucified. But this little scout party, if you will, is more of a trial run and a launch than a launch. And so I want to address these things. I want to uh, go through the address that he gives to them this commission that he has for them. And he says this, that he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And then he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And then he said to them, take nothing with you on your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money. And don't take two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there. From there depart. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave the town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Why would I choose these verses? Well, We're in the middle of a sermon series, I think a slide of of the tree will come up, of our philosophy of ministry. And in particular, we are talking about uh, the ground of our philosophy of ministry. It's from there that the roots grow into that trunk. Uh, It's the soil from which the tree grows. And hopefully, even though we are not in control of how all the fruit happens, that's what we believe will bear fruit that we long for. These are our scriptural presuppositions. What we're assuming is true about God in the wor- and us in the world. Specifically at Redeemer. That's what this is. And so we're, today we're digging in, particularly uh, uh, digging into a chunk of the ground that is God loves the whole person. And what we mean by that is mind, and body, and soul, and community, and family. These stories work together, the one about the, the 5,000, it comes afterward, but this first commission and this provision actually do work together. The first part is kind of a simple news report, what's going on, where he commissions his 12 closest followers to do as he did, and has been doing this entire time. But this is a mission, for him in particular, that goes into the world to love the whole person. Then we go to almost an object, almost an object lesson where he actually displays this mission in the feeding of the 5000. So let's talk about the commission first. The commission is just in the first two verses of 9. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal Think of this as kind of a huddle, right? By the way, college football is back. Yeah. Deion Sanders, are you kidding me? Primetime? Anyway. <laughs> All right. Side conversation. We'll come back to that later. No, we won't. Um, it's a, it's a, it's, he's like giving the plays in the huddle, or maybe it's like a green room moment before people go on stage, something like that. But you've got to remember that they are simply participating in what God in Christ, what Jesus has been doing the entire time. And they're getting swept up in the waves of God's love that loves the whole person. And there are three things that are clear from the text. That is, that they, they are called to be part of hindering evil, healing ills, and heralding good news. To hinder evil, he gave them power and authority over all demons. Jesus' love and his power and his authority are stronger than all evil. It is confusing at times to figure out how the demonic works and applies to us at least 100% of the time, or at least most of the time. Like it doesn't even really work for them 100% of the time because in a couple chapters later they are unable to cast out a demonic influence. But here's what I do know. God's kingdom addresses every form of evil that exists in the world. And evil in our tradition, and I think biblically, there are three evils in the world and we call it the world, the flesh, and the devil. There are only enemies that we have. The devil or the demonic or the evil spirits of the world are real. And they are evil. And then there's the flesh. We can be evil. And then there's the world, the structures and systems of the way of sin and death that are in the world. So there is this real evil in the world, and some of it is demonic, and some of it's the flesh, and some of it's the devil. And I tell you what, it's hard to tease out which one is which at times. And if anybody tells you they're 100% sure that they've teased it out, don't believe them. We cannot be that confident in these things. But the key to this is that God, in Christ, is vanquishing all evil. That's the key. Because as love and power stem from this authority, its purpose is... To love the whole person. Applying this is tough. But what we do know is that wherever there is evil and its effects, that's where we belong. And God is there in the midst of them. Never forget that Jesus' kingdom of love is an activist movement. Otherwise, it would be okay with the status quo, which it's not. Because the status quo is a reign of sin and death. And so his kingdom of love comes and brings confrontation to evil. It does. Please don't get me wrong. It is peaceful resistance, humble advocacy, active love. It never has wrath or vengeance or domination or hate or violence. And yet it never is passive or neglectful or silent amid evil. And this hindering of evil takes many, many forms, both public and private, sometimes through direct prayer, sometimes through years of training. But the goal is the same, all out of love for the whole person to vanquish evil wherever it is. The second thing is to heal ills. We hinder evil, they're called to hinder evil as Jesus has done, and heal ills as Jesus has done. And the difference between evil and ills is one of cause and effect. Evil makes the ills, make, evils make the ills of this world. It was easier on written than it was spoken. <laughs> Illness is the result of evil's havoc on the earth. And we do both of those things, both at the source and at the results. He sent them out to cure diseases and heal Jesus, and therefore Christianity, and therefore Christians, live under a kind of Hippocratic oath that not only do we not do any harm, but we do good and bring healing wherever we can. Wherever there is brokenness, wherever there is sickness of mind, of body, of soul, we come to bring a healing balm that Jesus has given to us. Jesus has made his church into a hospital for the sick And it's not just a hospital, it's a teaching hospital. But it's not just a teaching hospital like we're used to around here. It's a teaching hospital that you are a patient in and then become a doctor in. That's it. All because he calls us to love our neighbors as a whole, as whole persons. Jesus is reminding them and us and telling us of his kingdom that there is a therapeutic part a healing part of the whole person which he comes to bring. And that means everything from medical to miraculous, from personal disasters to natural disasters. It means things like healing prayer and disaster relief. All there. But the last part I want to make sure you understand about how this kingdom moves and acts in the world and how it reveals the love of the whole person. And that is the heralding of good news. And they sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. They go out, right? So all these local towns as heralds of good news. And we need to remember in this context what good news means or the gospel means. Remember, it's an ancient term. It it preceded the gospel. I mean, it was part of the everyday language of of the era. It's kind of like a press release, actually, to a nation about something amazing or important that has happened. Oftentimes, it was tied to military victories or like a king's coronation. The good news would come out to the community. It was a political and public announcement kind of term. And Jesus tells the apostles to go out and say, there is a kingdom that is here, and the king of that kingdom is here. To make that public announcement. Everything in the physical and spiritual worlds is now different. I skipped the one part, which even is more clear to this. I regret it now. But it's about Herod. And Herod's like, his job is to like quell rebellions. And Herod pokes his head up. He says, I thought I killed John the Baptist. Why is this still going on? Because it matters. It's a public political, not partisan, political statement. God's love isn't just about deeds of justice and mercy. It is about words, and words have power. Telling folks what God is doing in Christ Jesus. It is declaratory or declarative. And it's to say these things, that he has loved this world in all its brokenness, in all of our rebellion. He has come as the incarnate God, you might say, as C.S. Lewis says, in disguise, behind enemy lines, to us. And he's established a reign of life and grace and healing and wholeness to the whole person as he vanquishes the reign of sin and death. This is the message of that good news that Jesus of Nazareth has come to bring a new kingdom, a new people with new hearts in a new humanity, with new lives who live in allegiance to this king. This king that loves the whole person. We're going to sing it in just a bit in a couple months. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Now, Jesus is Smart. He knows us. He knows our temptations. And so he gives us um, some prerequisites for how this works out in our world. He kind of knows that um, we get on to the, the hindering, healing, and heralding uh, uh, bandwagon, and we can get a sneaky temptation that comes into our hearts. And that we can become unloving while telling people that God loves the whole person. And so the prerequisites are pretty interesting because he knows right that there's a part of us that are like oh this kingdom is awesome it's victorious we're going to win and so then we go triumphantly into the world without a sense of love and humility and at worst and Christian history is littered with this becomes imperialistic nationalistic or violent and if you don't believe me try turning on the news Ukraine and Russia are two Christian nations fighting imperialistic battles. And Russia and Ukraine are by far not the only ones. Jesus wants to ensure our humility. And so he says to them, don't take anything with you. Sorry, guys. Do not take anything for your journey. No staff, bag, bread, money. Don't have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there. They're from there depart. If they don't receive you, when you leave that that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. I'll talk about that in a second. Jesus is telling the twelve that these are the prerequisites that help us with this kind of triumphalistic instinct. And he says, Go empty handed, just don't take anything with you. It's a display of weakness, not self-congratulatory power. The kingdom is about God's power being manifest in our weakness to other weak people. So don't, we don't present strong. It's also reliant. I love this. And just whatever house you're going to go to, even if they don't like you, just stay there and see what happens after that. When you stay there, stay there and then leave. We come reliant on the hospitality of others and the generosity of others. Experiencing the love of God to the whole person is a team sport. Mutual dependency is a prerequisite of the kingdom. And he wants to manifest that to these 12 doing this little recon mission. You were not made to be alone. Part of my healing the whole person is uniting you to another. And also it's undeterred. And wherever they do not receive you, shake off the dust from your feet. It's just saying... Look, setbacks are a part of the struggle for hindering and healing and heralding. It's okay. As Taylor says, shake it off. Again, not as good of a laugh as I got last. It's just not. You can't, you can't worry about those things. And they're shaking it off. You've got to think about what Jesus is doing here. He says, shake it off here. I'm just. This is just the recon mission. I'm coming back with 72 in just a little bit. But now they have a testimony to know that they've rejected this kingdom. And so when it comes back again, they can hear it or reject again, but it's marking it. So why are all these instructions here, this method? It's because he loves the whole person. He loves his disciples enough. That he never wants them to have a display, have or display any self righteousness or domineering tendencies. And he always wants to make his power made known in our weaknesses and our brokennesses because we're going to other weak and broken people, so we admit it on the front end. And that's when the story of the loaves and fishes that we talked about with the kids goes. It's the culmination. I said it was kind of an object lesson, but object lesson means it was just about the lesson. No, he was actually caring for people's bodies, the 5,000 of them to eat. He was feeding them because Jesus loves the whole person. They walked out a bit into the desolate town beside a, to get away from the crowds, He's providing rest for his disciples who would just come back because he loves the whole person and rest is about loving the whole person. But then the crowds follow and Jesus it says that Jesus welcomes them. Why? Because he loves the whole person and he loves a whole, a, a, whole persons, lots of them. And he spoke to them of the kingdom of God. Why? Because he loves the whole person. And he cured those who had... Who had need of healing. Why? Because he loves the whole person. He's living out these things. And so Jesus is just embodying everything he's taught them. He's hearing, healing, and heralding in the kingdom. And he's loving folks in their bodies and their souls because he loves the whole person. The day gets late and the crowds are hungry and getting tired. Disciples are weary and unsure, but they come up with a good plan. It really is. They're not uh, slighted for having this plan at all. He says, they go to Jesus and say, hey, look, it's getting late. Crowds need to go find a place. They need some lodging. Go to the villages, countryside, somewhere to find lodging and provisions. Because we're in a desolate place if you haven't noticed Jesus. Well, I love this instinct. This is a actually beautiful and good instinct we should not shame them for this in any way they're not fools i'm I'm sure this is there's a couple deacons in this group right they're like how are we gonna make this work we got a lot of hungry people well he says to them you give them something to eat (laughs) you just gotta be like come on jesus what are you doing man now mind you he's not denying that people need to eat But he's putting them in a tight spot and saying, you give them something to eat. And then they do the thing that they do, which is, oh, let me do a resource assessment. Yes, we got two fish and five loaves. Now let me do a needs assessment. There are 5,000 dudes out there, not counting women and children. So they come back to him and say, this is the situation. Harris Teeter's a long way away, preferably Lowe's Foods. Can you see Jesus working his deeper love into them, into their faith, into their souls? And you see he's doing the same thing. You know what the rest of the report reads like. It's like, and he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so. And they had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. And then, let this ring in your ear in just a little bit. Then he broke the loaves. and gave it to his disciples. To set before the crowd jesus tells the 12 to divvy the stuff up divvy the people up and then divvy the stuff up he asks his father to multiply the blessings the provision and scholars and artists have been trying to figure this thing out for a long long time how did it happen did the bread and fish multiply as jesus was giving it to the 12 Did it multiply, like, when did it, or did it start multiplying when they had it, or like, how did it work? The answer is, you don't know, and I don't either. Some even say, well, maybe it was like a a stone soup situation, where it's, they started giving, and then everybody, you know, pulled out their loaves and fishes, but that's 5,000 people in a desolate place that were traveling with their lunches and dinners? Unlikely. It's a miracle of God's physical generosity to 5,000 plus people and to the disciples and all could hear about how they could reframe what God would do to provide for them, both physically and spiritually. And here's the, book, the kicker, and they got leftovers out of it. That the provision is beyond what they could imagine. It's amazing. Why do I say all this? I think you've heard it once or twice already. Jesus loves the whole person. Every bit of you. This passage and many other passages through all Scripture are what gives that ground, that that bedrock of Redeemer's foundational beliefs, what we presuppose. We don't presume. We presuppose because God has revealed himself as this kind of God, a God that loves the whole person. Jesus' love hinders evil. It heals ills. It heralds good news. But it's more than that. Then in this moment, this object lesson, he lives it out, he embodies it to all who are there and his disciples. He was growing the faith of his disciples here, blowing their minds. And it's a beautiful thing to behold. Look, you guys, he put them in the same place he did just the the chapter or the the part before. He basically sent them out to feed 5,000 empty handed, utterly reliant, right? And that's where his power and abundance moves in. That's where his love bursts forth. And they are actually left with nourishment for themselves leftovers. There's some genius of the kingdom in the way it works something about giving beyond self concern, costly giving. And yet God provides abundantly with more to spare. Our passage today is about many things. It really is. But if I want you to hear anything, it's that Jesus loves the whole person. That means you, amid your family, amid your community, amid your so called enemies, you are not hearing me say that he heals and hinders all things this side of heaven. He clearly does not. He didn't do it all the way through scripture. He doesn't do it in Luke. We we don't always experience the deliverance from evil on this side of glory. We don't always experience peace of mind in our souls. We don't. Our bodies are not guaranteed to be strong. Our bodies still keep the score of pain and trauma in the world. And then you add our sin and our own rebellion, self-reliance and arrogance that causes more damage at times in our bodies and souls, in the bodies and souls of others. But what I am saying, he has come precisely to deal with all those things. And one day, one day, he will heal us because Jesus loves the whole person. Our Lord Jesus, the way he came to bring his love was that he would take on the angst of this world in the garden of the Gethsemane in sweating blood. His love would bring him to be trampled on by his enemies, forsaken by his friends, and even his own father for a short season. And that love would take our sin and rebellion into his body so much so that Paul could say he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. All because he loves us. All because he loves all of you. He probably, he, he loves the parts that you don't, that you hate about yourself. And He's committed to vanquish any evil in those parts. God loves the whole person. It's the very ground of our life together at Redeemer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. Help us believe. Help our unbelief. Where else will we go? Teach us that you love every cell in our body. We pray in your name.